This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks, as always, to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. And good news for Brian Redmond fans, he'll be back with you all next week on KCLR Lunch. Later this morning, Edward Hayden will be along after me at 10 o'clock with the Saturday show starting a new feature where businesses and local services will feature in a new weekly uh, slot called Shop Local, Shop Now, and it's all in association with shopcarlockthekenny.ie, your online shopping story. That's presented by Ashling Kelly, and the feature will bring listeners shopping information, tips and special offers, as well as exclusive prizes and promotions. So do stay tuned for that, all part of supporting local business. But before that, between now and 10 o'clock on the bottom line, with pictures of the Irish Open from beautiful Mount Juliet being beamed to millions of homes around the world during the week, we'll be talking to Martin Donnelly, the man who heads up Falcha Ireland's push to bring international golf tourism back to Ireland and to grow it as an important business sector. Started in an office in Erlingford in 1984, Campion Insurances is now one of the five biggest insurance brokerages in the country. We We'll hear the story of success from Jim Campion, founder and CEO. And we'll be talking recruitment, dream jobs and counter-offers with Breda Dooley from Matrix Recruitment. But first, with the postponement of the planned full reopening of restaurants and hospitality announced by the government during the week to general feeling of disappointment and uh, crestfallenness, if that's a word. It's been a really hard week for many and most indeed in that sector of our local economy. Before we came on air, I caught up with economist, chart-topping podcaster and regular contributor to the bottom line, Jim Power, to hear his thoughts on that and on the economic impacts uh, and his view of the central bank's latest economics forecasts published during the week. I started by putting it to Jim that he's been very, very critical of the government in the past and that's continued of their announcements this week. Uh, Yes, I have, John. Um, Up to this week, really, there was a great sense of optimism out there. Um, Case numbers were way down. Hospitalizations were down. ICU numbers were down. Um, The economy was being gradually opened up and we were on the verge of, you know, indoor dining and so on being um, reopened and then in the last week for whatever reason uh, there has been a remarkable about turn there and um, now you know we're facing into a situation where uh, restaurants and pubs and so on can have absolutely no certainty you know when they'll get to open or if they'll get to open this year because one of the dangers would be of course that um, there is definitely a seasonal element to COVID and coming into October, November, you know, it's possible that case numbers would rise anyway. So um, I, it's, 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 it's not a good week, to be honest. And um, I, I buy all the arguments about the Delta variant and the impact that's having. But it, I also think it's important to recognise that the level of hospitalisation um, has only risen marginally in the United Kingdom to date. It could rise further, who knows. But to date, it would appear that um, the 
virus, the Delta variant, is just raising through the younger and the unvaccinated people, and that for most of them, um, it doesn't represent a significant illness. So, but, you know, th- there is the whole question about uh, the health imperative, you know. But on the other side of the equation, there is the question about the the, the, the cost of this for the real economy. I mean, I really, really pity people who are running pubs and restaurants at the moment. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's been hell for the last 18 months and continues to be hell. And the longer this goes on, obviously, the more difficult it is going to be for these people to actually ever get back into a sustainable business situation again. And that will clearly have significant consequences for the towns and villages and cities of the country, you know, with closed premises. My real criticism of government here is, um, number one, um, Neffet is now running the show and government is afraid to stand up and put its own slant on what it wants to do. Um, Secondly, um, I think the government communications has been absolutely abysmal. And I certainly got the distinct impression this week from listening to various government ministers, particularly the Minister for Health, uh, but also the Taoiseach, that they really haven't a clue what's going on at the moment. So there's, there's a huge communication problem and there's also a huge leadership problem. And when you get poor communication and a leadership void, um, it just throws people into despair. And I think you can probably sense that for me this week. You know, I found it a very, very uh, difficult week on so many different levels. You, you've got to stand back at some stage and decide um, you know, you cannot go for a zero COVID policy. You will have to take risks. The risks are now being minimised because the vaccine programme is being gradually rolled out. And we were told for some months now that once we got hospitalisation levels down, once we got the vulnerable and the older people in our society vaccinated, we would then be able to reopen. And that has been achieved and we're still no closer to reopening. Yeah, I heard. I hear it in your voice, Jim, that you are a bit dispirited, dispirited about it. And I actually was surprised to hear you say in your podcast, the other hand, um, that you actually turned off uh, watching um, the Waterford Hurlers last week. That the, the sight of such a paltrily attended match just did did for you. Yeah, I, I did, and people would say you would do that, wouldn't you? Given that Waterford were being hammered, but the minute the minute I switched on to the game at the beginning. Um, I was totally unenthused. Um, 200 people at the game, zero atmosphere. I don't know how the players could play in that sort of environment. And in fact, you know, the quality of the match itself was absolutely dreadful. Mm. And But for Tony Kelly, you know, it really would have been poor. But halfway through it anyway, I switched over when the Dutch game started on television to watch the European Championship. And you'd have and thousands you, of people at that. See, yeah. You could see the contrast there, you know, full stadia, um, lots of noise, lots of atmosphere, and it was from a spectator perspective, it was really good to watch. So, um, and, and that therein lies another question. You know, we are an outlier in Europe now. And we still have, and we indeed we have had the last eighteen months the most stringent level of restrictions in Europe and the world, indeed, and it continues. So, mm-hmm. you know, on many levels, I just think at this stage we are adopting a way to risk-averse approach to this. We have to take risks and try and get life, get society, get the economy functioning again. One thing I would say, John, is that um, in in response to that podcast, um, 
got a very, very mixed reaction. You know, there's a lot of people out there who really believe that what the government and Netford are doing is 100% correct. There's a lot of people out there who believe it's totally incorrect, like me, for example. So it definitely splits opinion at the moment. Mm. Now, on the economic front, the central bank brought out its uh, latest forecasts on Thursday, and they're actually... um, projecting quite uh, rapid growth for the economy um bit of a you know goes against the mood music but the economy seems to be doing okay but issues for the public finances okay yeah, yes john i mean I, every time i've appeared on your show for some months now i have been very upbeat about economic recovery prospects because there is a large part of the economy doing really well you know, if you're working in foreign direct investment, in the public sector, in professional services, in financial services, um, COVID economically has had little impact. Whereas, And that's where the growth is going to come from. Whereas if you work in tourism-related businesses, hospitality, personal services like gyms, arts and entertainment, um, it's an absolute hell out there at the moment. But the decided economy that's doing well that's what's going to drive the recovery story. Mm. But unfortunately, and, and of course, one thing that will drive this is we got data again this week from the central bank showing that between March of last year and the end of May this year, there was an increase of $25 billion in personal savings. We now have $131.5 billion euro sitting on bank accounts, highest we've ever seen in this country. And at some stage, you know, that money is going to be unleashed back into the economy. So I'm upbeat on the overall economy, but there's a nuance here. And the nuance is that, number one, the public finances um, are in poor shape. You know, mm. we're going to spend at least $38 billion in COVID supports, uh, at least to date. It's going to go higher. Um, we're left with a massive legacy of public debt. That's the problem. Uh, the second issue is there will be sectors of the economy and businesses within those sectors that will never recover from this. And as I mentioned earlier, I really, really pity those people who are running small businesses like restaurants, pubs and so on. Yeah, because those figures, um, just reading about them, the main driver for growth is quoted as being pharmaceuticals, computer services and contract manufacturing. And contract manufacturing is when goods are made abroad but the company is actually registered in Ireland. So a bit of a false sense of reassurance there. Yes, there is, absolutely. And um, I guess any time you analyse what's happening in the Irish economy, uh, the one thing you do not look at is what's happening in GDP, because GDP, that's gross domestic product, it's the, the international metric for measuring economic activity, is grossly exaggerated by those things. But But, but having said that, you can still see, I mean, the chemical and pharmaceutical sector down is so important, for example, to the Cork region, and that is doing really well. There's 257,000 people employed in the, for, in the by multinational companies. So I'm not for one moment um, downgrading the contribution those multinationals are making. But I think when anybody reads or listens to what the central bank was saying this week, um, they need to be nuanced in terms of their interpretation because um, it's very much a dual economy and it's going to be a dual recovery and there will be um, sectors and people seriously left behind in this. So there, And, and that goes, brings me back to my point earlier about 
the very risk-averse approach the government and NEFIT continue to take here. You know, if you do a cost-benefit analysis, um, heavy restrictions definitely um, were appropriate earlier in this crisis. But as the vaccine program is being rolled out, um, I think it's now time to start looking at the costs of the um, the restrictions that remain in place. And I think at this stage, on a cost-benefit basis, those costs are outweighing um, the benefits. And I can hear people saying already, um, how can you measure lives in terms of economics? But the point is that these restrictions are actually having a huge impact on life as well because the, the mental health consequences that I, <coughs> excuse me, that I am seeing increasingly from young people particularly um, are desperate. But also the people who are running pubs and restaurants, um, you know, their state of mind at the moment is one of utter depression in many cases. So there, there will be longer term um, consequences for people's lives as a result of these restrictions. So I, I, think, I think we have reached a turning point. I think the costs of this approach are now far outweighing the benefits and it is time that government actually stood up to NEFIT and started to make some real decisions. But I wouldn't hold my breath in that regard. Okay, um, now the budget will be framed uh, towards the end of the year. A very important budget, I would imagine, given the amount of expenditure on the whole uh, uh, COVID crisis. The National Economic Forum, I understand, is uh, you know starting to frame kind of uh, policies and recommendations. What, in your view, should they be doing? Well, uh, you know, the, the, when, when the budget is presented in October, the reality is that uh, the crisis will not be over. You know, we will still be living, um, I presume, with significant levels of restriction in the economy. Um, so that means that I think the government is going to have to continue to support those sectors and those people that have been most exposed and damaged by the restrictions in place. So the government will have to continue to lend a lot of financial support. And I think it's inconceivable in the budget that they could turn around and start slashing spending and start increasing taxes because if it, if it pursues that approach um, it is just going to drive our economic recovery over a cliff. So I, I think the budget definitely is going to have to be a supportive one. Now is not the time to start um, rowing back on spending and increasing taxation. Um, I think that would prove totally counterproductive and would make a difficult situation even more difficult. So I, I hope... It's a budget that will provide support to those sectors of the economy and those people who have been most adversely affected. And, of course, the other thing I would like to see in the budget is something meaningful on the housing front. You know, we are in a historically low interest rate environment. The government simply has to borrow money and has to deliver the housing that's required as quickly as possible because if it doesn't, political ramifications of that a couple of years down the road um, I think will be quite dramatic. So a tough week Jim but on the bright side uh, Kilkenny are playing Wexford this weekend and we're looking forward to that one. Enjoy it John. <laughs> Thanks very much. Jim. I'll be watching the soccer okay.
Ah uh, yes, Jim Power there, uh, going against the flow and watching the soccer while we'll all be glued to Casey Lauren listening to commentary on Kilkenny versus Wexford. But that's or that's not all. We've got Carlo versus Westmead in the Joe McDonough Cup also coming up, and Brendan Hennessy and Terence Kelly will be doing commentary on that. So stick around for that. Uh, generating some uh, response on our text lines, uh, Jim, as he was expecting a text in saying, "I wonder has that gentleman lost anyone to COVID?" COVID. He appears finance driven. Health is our wealth. And another another texter in said what Jim said is not fair. It's scientific that this virus is killing people. The government and doctors are keeping people alive. This is a blind war. It has no colour on the flag, only death. So difficult time for business and a difficult job for the government uh, and so on. But I just see a tweet from Paul Reid, CEO of uh, HSE this morning saying we should plan for Delta with concern which is being expressed uh, but also a level of confidence. We have almost 4.3 million vaccines administered and uh, 68% of the adult population are partly vaccinated and 48% are fully vaccinated. So it's a struggle to keep everything in perspective but we must keep going forward. After the break we're going to be talking about a really positive story the positive story of golf in this area and the Irish Open which is happening just out the road from us here in Mount Juliet. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business www.omf.ie The heart of two counties. KCLR Casey Law, indeed, it's just coming up to 27 and a half minutes after nine o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line on Casey Law. Now, it was great to see pictures of Mount Juliet in Thomastown County, Kilkenny, uh, on the television to do with the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open. And those pictures, of course, are being beamed all over the world and represent a very important opportunity for the business of golf tourism uh, to promote itself. And joining me on the line is the man who works for Falcha Ireland doing just that. It's Martin Donnelly, Product Sales and Distribution Manager with Falcha Ireland. Martin, a busy week for you. Yes, John, a busy week, but for all the right reasons, John. We welcome back the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open, and of course it's been hosted, as you say, in Mount Juliet, in Kilkenny, and Ireland introduced this week, and we're delighted that it's happening and able to happen, John. Yeah, and um, it's a it's a tough uh, time for the hospitality sector and tourism in general, and that was highlighted during the week. But how's the sector faring overall, in your view? Well, the sector, of course, John, has been very significantly challenged challenged by the impact of COVID nineteen. Uh, golf tourism is just as a part of that, and of course, in turn, has been significantly impacted. We rely very heavily on the international visitors who come to play golf on this island, and when they're not coming, of course, that has a detrimental effect on not just the golf courses, but all the other uh, supporting industries that rely so heavily on those golfers arriving onto the island, from accommodation providers, transport providers, food and beverage providers, etc. So, so very challenged just now, John. And um, I suppose this week, our hosting the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open in Mount Juliet presents us with an opportunity to ensure that we are front of mind amongst consumers right across the world that when the time is right, we are raring to go and, and welcome them back to Ireland with all the things still in place that they would have come to expect from a golfing holiday in Ireland. Yeah, and tell us, how much is golf tourism worth to the Irish economy in quote-unquote normal times, pre-COVID times? 
Yeah, but normal things. Uh, golf tourism is valued at 300 million euros a year, uh, generating 1.6 million bed nights, John. Wow. Um, we, host, we host just over about 200,000 uh, tourists each year. Uh, they come to play specifically to play golf, and that means they spend probably about three times that of a normal leisure visitor, so they're a very valuable sector to the economy. So they stay longer than the normal visitor and or spend more than the normal visitor? But and, and indeed they do, particularly the, the all important US market. John, to us, they, they would spend they would spend over uh, eight nights on the island, and that of course means, as you say, there they, they they spend more when they're on the ground. Yeah, and so um, the US a very important market, but where else are the golfers coming from? Yeah, so um, our last piece of research would indicate that forty seven percent of all our visitors, uh, golfing visitors, come from the US. Thirty percent from Europe, uh, mainland Europe, with the Germany and Nordics being quite prevalent amongst that thirty percent. Very important GB market at nineteen percent, and then the, the other four percent of the rest of the world. So, so a good mix. Uh, some emerging markets, of course, Asia, and you know, which is off, off. Um, just at the moment, but 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 you know, this, this, some of the Asian markets are developing in terms of the participation in golf, which of course in turn leads to travel in golf. So so we we, we certainly focus. You know, this week's events at the Dubai GDP Irish Open will be beamed into those markets also. So it's a great platform once again, John, to to ensure that we keep our eye on all those markets and make sure we have a presence in them. Yeah, now, uh, tourism is a very future-focused industry. The sales pipeline, quote-unquote, especially for group tourism, I suppose, is really, really long. I suppose you've been planning for normal times for quite a while, even when the country's been locked down. Tell us about the kind of things you're doing to pick the industry up off the floor, I suppose. Yeah, you're so right, John. You know, tourism forces to look forward. The pipeline, you know, in leisure tourism could be as long as 18 months. So, you know, you're planning for 18 months all, all, all along. And I'll just give you one example uh, of what we've been doing. Last week, we hosted the 7th Gulf Ireland Convention. We hosted virtually, of course, 100, or just say of 100 international golf buyers from the U.S., GB, Germany, South America, etc., and they met over 115 uh, Irish suppliers. And essentially what that was was a contracting workshop, John, where we put, them to get, put the buyers and the suppliers together, contracting for future business. And we, as I say, that's the seventh of those we have held in conjunction mm. with uh, the International Association of Golf Tour Operators. And that's the way we look forward. We, we make sure we are front of mind amongst those really important international buyers that drive so much business onto the island. Yeah, now, so talking about your 18-month sales pipeline, that brings you into 2023, summer 2023. How's that looking, without being facetious, but are people actually planning post-COVID when it comes to making commitments and so on? I work uh, in a B2B environment, John, which means I deal with the travel trade here, based here in Ireland, and they're telling me that they have even... All things remaining equal, decent business on the books for the remainder of 2021 and golf for 2022 and 2023 is looking very strong. Um, we have a determined consumer in golf. They, first of all, 
probably didn't want wanted to travel to Ireland this year. If it's not to be, they're not cancelling. They're just postponing their business into 22 and 2023, John. That's what we're hearing from the travel trade. So, so business is looking good in the golf sector. Well, reasons to be cheerful, and we always like to hear that on the bottom line. Martin, thank you very much. You've been enjoying the beautiful uh, course in Mount Juliet, and you'll be back again this weekend, I take it. I, I will indeed, John. I'm heading to that direction just now. I, I think it's fair to say, John, that Mount Juliet Estate has looked fantastic on the television this week, and it's a credit to all the team there. Mark Dunn, Siobhan O'Sullivan, Matt Sandercock, and all the team have done a wonderful job in enabling this event to take place, and it, it has looked superb with a very strong field. And, of course, there will be four Irish men still in the field over the weekend, so it would make very interesting viewing and spectacular viewing from a Mount Juliet perspective. Well, Martin, thank you very much and well done to everybody in Falcha, Ireland for all your work on the golf tourism, for on the Dubai duty-free Irish Open and on keeping Ireland out there in the international market. That's Martin Donnelly, Product Sales and Distribution Manager with Falch Ireland. Thanks, Martin. Thank you, John. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie You're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Now, the world of work has changed beyond recognition, some may say, and it's something we've discussed many times on the programme. To get the latest update on trends on skill shortages, on staff retention and on what people are saying about their dream job. I'm joined on the line by Breda Dooley, who's Regional Recruitment Manager with Matrix Recruitment. Good morning, Breda. Good morning, John. Thank you for having me on your show. Pleasure. Listen, I said that the world of work has changed over the last while. What are the main changes that you've seen? You're working with many of the largest companies in the country. I I suppose this time last year, um, John, we would have noticed that um, when the pandemic started, we would have seen a a significant decrease in jobs um, right across all, all, most sectors, I suppose, retail wasn't really impacted, um, food retail. But um, since the last, I suppose, the end of last year, we've seen that um, recruitment is coming back. The world is getting back up to to speed now. There is demand out there now, so we are seeing a significant rise in jobs. We see that in the next quarter three of this year, and probably right into quarter quarter four, there's an estimated increase of about 15% of new jobs to be created here in Ireland, and this is as well going to be right across Europe. Where we're seeing the rise in jobs in the sectors would be um, logistics, and transport. Partly this is probably down to Brexit. We've seen a number of jobs coming out of the customs and the freight sector. Even financial services as well and accountancy. I myself recently in Matrix um, placed a, a, a Brexit project accountant. It would have been the first for me as well. And the same in manufacturing as well and engineering. You would have noticed that the, the world nearly stopped so there was no demand. Now that there is a demand for products and services out there, people have to hire staff now to um, to meet that demand. So we're seeing a lot of new of jobs coming out for production operators, um, automation engineers, process design engineers and even quality managers. And the same with even in HR, there's been significant rise in HR positions. I, what we would are experiencing is that HR had a vital part to play in companies and the way they handled the pandemic. So people went home, started to work remotely. 
So policies and procedures had to be put in place. So HR now is seen as a very strategic function to um, to companies. Um, so there's a lot of jobs, both senior and, le- and junior level positions as well. Even our own sector in recruitment, a lot of um, established recruitment agencies now are recruiting um, recruiters. We currently in Matrix Recruitment have a number of positions right across um, our, our offices. So it's a fantastic career opportunity if anybody's looking. But it is um, definitely... The, the market has changed from when it started. There, I suppose we, we would have noticed that maybe there was a lot more contract when the pandemic started because there was a there was a shortage of jobs. Sorry, there was a freeze in recruitment. Companies weren't allowed to to recruit. So how did they get around recruitment? They did contract, but now we're seeing that kind of flipping a little bit now that there's a lot more permanent positions coming out. Yeah. Now another big change is the whole world of hybrid working, where people are working a bit in the office and a bit from home. And also the issue of people who are working from home the whole time joining companies but never actually meeting their colleagues in the flesh, so to speak. Talk to us about that whole world of of hybrid working and how that makes the, the job of the recruiter different. It's something that I would have noticed seeping into um, the, the, the candidates um, wanting Prior to the pandemic, people were asking, is there an option maybe of working one day? So, it's, But the pandemic really has brought this um, on stream. Um, employees are, are looking to be, if they're fully remote, working remotely at the moment, they would like to continue it or have the option of hybrid working. Um, companies need to decide what their future working model is um, as soon as possible. I know they're still waiting on government legislation to come out, but it, employees are looking for certainty. They want to know whether they be working three months, where they'll be working in three months, whether it'll be a hybrid, remote or full-time on-site setup. And um, I would say clients or in companies will miss out on and really good quality candidates if they're not offering kind of a hybrid or, uh, you know, option or even remote um, working option. In terms of, the, uh, you mentioned about the um, training people up if they're not in the office. This would probably impact more so a graduate or somebody starting out their career quite um, early. Ideally, they would gain a lot of experience in if they're in the office and listening to the, the conversations and they can ask questions a little bit more freely. Whereas maybe somebody that's a little bit more experienced and um, the challenge wouldn't be there as much. But ourselves, we have successfully taken two um, recruitment consultants, um, virtually onboarded them and it, was, it worked out fine. But I would say to, to companies, they probably need to, if they're going to be offering it, you know, the hybrid, put something in place so that people know potential employees know where they stand yeah now uh, you've your company's carried out something which you call the dream job survey um tell us a bit about that and what that's shown about how people feel about their jobs Yes, this is a very interesting survey. We carried it out there earlier this year. 43% of the people in Ireland okay, have fallen out of love with their job and many more are re-evaluating their careers. Um, some of the reasons that they're, they're, it's been cited is because of this pandemic, people are, are at home, so they've had a lot more time. They couldn't go anywhere, so they have time on their hands to review and reevaluate their, their lives. They have said that um, they're... The survey cited that the people were stuck in a rut, they needed a change, they were bored, uninspired, and um, they weren't getting paid enough. Mm. So, um, Pretty natural, though. A lot of people feel like that. But that's good for your business, presumably, even if it mightn't actually be grounded in reality a lot of the time. 
Yes, it would be very, very good for us because then uh, what we're seeing is that people are actively, at the start of the pandemic, people weren't moving, but now we're seeing that people are actively out there searching for jobs. And there is, you know, there is a skill, there is uh, plenty of jobs, so there's a candidate shortage. And um, so it is definitely very, very good for us. I suppose where we're seeing the downfall on it is that the counter offers are back. This wouldn't have been something, this would have probably been the last time I would have seen it in 19 years in recruitment is um, the Celtic Tiger days candidates have more of a choice of jobs so they have um so they, while they might have only had one or two jobs that they would have been going for maybe this time last year, they're interviewing for two or three jobs. It's easier now for a candidate to hop on and do an interview if they're working remotely. They can do it through their lunch break because they're all done on Teams or Zoom. So there's no barriers there that would have been, you know, taking a half day or trying to get time off to go to an interview. And, um, and what's happening now is that because there is, you know, people are trying to retain their staff and um, are, are attracting new staff companies are counter offering so they're offering more money and more benefits perks or even you know a you know a, a, an improvement in their job title as well i would say if somebody is being is considering a counter offer you know think of this as your next pay rise for the next 18 months and um and if it's not money that you're motivated by the same reason that you were looking will be still there in six months time and you'll probably be back out re-looking in the market again for a job and there's kind of a, a mistrust then left between yourself and your and your current employer because you know you did go out and you did think of consider leaving the company as uh, well Okay well very interesting stuff Breda Dooley Regional Recruitment Manager with Matrix Recruitment thank you very much Thank you John now, in the last fortnight, moving along from the whole world of recruitment to the world of insurance, and a really uh, piece of good news for a local Kilkenny company. Uh, as I was saying, in the last fortnight, details were announced of a transaction that see a West of Ireland insurance company called McLaughlin and Graney become part of the Campion Insurance Group, and the deal will see Campion Insurances become one of the biggest insurance brokerages in the country, with 12 offices around Ireland and over 180 staff. And it's a great success story that started in Erlingford County, Kilkenny in 1984. And the business is led by husband and wife team Breda and Jim Campion. And I'm delighted to be joined on the line by CEO of Campion Insurances and the co-founder with his wife, Jim Campion. Good morning, Jim. Morning, John. Thank you for having me on. Pleasure and well done to you. Tell us, wind the clock back and, uh, you know, 12 offices around the country and all that. How did you start out in 1984? Um, plans for world domination? Well, I suppose world domination was far from the scene at that stage, John. But yeah, we opened in Arlingford in about 1984 and Margaret, my wife, joined me about a year later who has been part of the success and growth of Campions and world domination since then. Um, I suppose business went very well for us. We started to expand through buying and getting relationships with other brokers in different parts of the, the country. So I suppose, yes, today it is a good story. Like we have offices from Cork to Mayo, from Galway to Dublin, and back down onto Patrick Street in Kilkenny, where we've been for probably 24, three or four years now. And I suppose good news in Kilkenny is we are moving out to the Danville Business Park in the next few months, which gives us double the space we have in Patrick Street. 
and that in itself we hope will lead to an extra 10 to 12 jobs being created in Kilkenny by us over the next 12 months. Great news. Now, when I was talking to you before we came on air and you were reflecting back um, on your time starting the business, you said basically you started with a pen, a calculator and and a notepad. What led you to grow the business? Like, how did the growth come about? I suppose in one sense, it, it happened in the early years where we into strategic planning and all this, probably not. We took it day by day, week by week. And I suppose, yes, opportunities came up. One of our first acquisitions was actually our former commissioner, Phil Hogan, who was a broker in Freshford. And we joined with Phil on that was our first. And I suppose that started to give us a little bit of scale and we started from there, and I think our next one at that stage was O'Dwyer's in Kilkenny. Jack O'Dwyer and the family had a very successful business in Kilkenny, and we bought that. And I suppose then we started to look at planning how we would take the business to another level. And we always had the ambition that we wanted to be a national broker. Yeah, now, 12 offices around the country. How many customers and how many insurance companies are, are you dealing with? Just give us an idea of the scale. We probably have around 65,000 customers spread across Ireland. And um, we deal with 130 insurance companies, both here Ireland, UK mainly, and some in other parts of the world. Yeah, and uh, now up to... Uh, the top five insurance brokers in the country. Uh, stay with us, uh, Jim. I'm talking to Jim Campion, who's the chief executive of Campion Insurance, a company founded in 1984 in Erlingford County, Kilkenny, and now one of the biggest networks of insurance brokers around the country. I'll be back talking to Jim after these messages. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. KCLR. Local at heart. Local at heart. Local at Heart indeed, you're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. And I have to admit, I got a bit of a start there listening uh, when I heard Jose Mourinho uh, coming into my ears as I listen on the uh, on my headphones during the ad break. But you never know who you'll hear on Casey Lohr. And he's on the Euros, but we're very much focused on Kilkenny and Carlo action over the weekend. And of course, the Irish Open, which is on out the road. And we'd keep you up to date with Shane and all the sports team on all the interviews international and soccer action uh, that's coming up. But we're talking business expansion and we're talking uh, Campion Insurances. Jim Campion is with me on the line. Jim, um, as I mentioned at the start of our, our chat, you uh, have a recent merger with McLaughlin and Graney Insurances who trade as future and they're now part of the Campion Insurances uh, uh, group. A significant deal for your company. Yes, we're delighted that we got it over the line. I suppose with COVID and everything, makes it, it made it a little bit different than, than when we were doing acquisitions before. But yes, we're delighted. It's it's a great opportunity for us to get a strong foothold into Galway and Mayo and into the west of Ireland in general. And I've known the proprietor 
there for many years and we always felt it would be a good fit. I think we're talking about doing this transaction for about five years. So we were pre-COVID, but we managed to get it over the line during COVID. Yeah, now it must have been a, a, an interesting occasion doing it during COVID because like whatever about working from home, doing an acquisition and a merger and all that kind of stuff when you can't, you know, shaking hands on the deal is a well-known thing, but you couldn't shake hands. No, there was no shaking hands on this particular one, but yet there was a lot of goodwill on on, on all sides. Yeah, it was different, and, and I suppose the transaction itself and getting it off the line probably wasn't the hardest part. Where I felt the toughest part was normally when that would happen, we would go down to the office, meet with all the staff, try and or, you know to get to know one another, learn how they do things, show them how we do some things. So. Like, they have a staff of 17 people down there, but all of them were working from remote, which made it difficult Indeed. To, to do that. But, look, a few months on, it's, start, it's working out. We do things slightly different, but I suppose the main thing we really try to do is make sure that our the customers are all the time looked after. And I suppose, you know, I think that's what COVID did for a lot of businesses. It made us look at our customer service and how good was it and how could we provide it in a different environment. And I think Ireland in general, I think I'd be proud of how the people in Campion and our customers have reacted to it. And, you know, yes, things are done different, but I think the service is just as good. And um, in ways, it's delivered more efficient. We don't spend two hours driving in a car, which we might have done a couple of years ago, John. Yeah, now, uh, Breda Dooley from uh, Matrix was talking about uh, remote working, blended working and so on. Um, I know that most of your people are working remotely at the moment, but what's the future hold, um, you know, for for the whole future of work, so to speak, in your particular business? Well, I think, OK... I think it's going to change how far it will go, how quick it will go. I'm, you know, it, it'll take time. But throughout COVID, we have continuously tried to carry out surveys, uh, internal staff surveys to see what people really want so that we can make plans maybe to make it happen. And, yeah, look, I agree with your last speaker in some incidents that people want home working. But... What we're seeing is that in the surveys, what's coming out consistently is about 20% of the people would like to work full-time from home, but the vast majority in people want a, a blended part of working. So we hope to, we are actually starting a pilot in two of the offices come September to see how that will fit for the business, for our customers, and for the staff as well. And I suppose we it will be a learning curve here in terms of getting it right. We won't get it all right in the first go, but by by communicating, talking to one another, and if yeah, if it's not working, man up to it and say, listen, we need to change something here. I think we will get it there. And I suppose I'll always say in the business, if it's good for the customer, let's do it. If it's good for the staff and we can do it, let's do it. Absolutely. So, Finally and briefly, Jim, um, further expansion on the cards? Are you just going to build, um, bed in the latest one before thinking of other deals? 
Um, no, I suppose, look, we have a great team of people who work in Champions. Management team there behind me are excellent at they, they They will take on that and have taken it on with the Galway people and Mayo people. And, you know, we're, we, they will, that'll happen. So, yes, we are still, we are always on the lookout for more expansion. Like, we're not finished yet. We would like to take the company further. Um, you know, we're a little bit like Shaw's, John. We're almost nationwide, but there's a few dots on the map that we still want to, we still want to fill in. And, uh, well, look, uh, thanks very much, Jim. And uh, we look forward to tracking your progress in the months and years ahead. And best uh, wishes and well done to you and your wife, Brida, and all the team in Campion Insurances. Thank you very much, John. And just to say um, to all our customers out there, look, we are ready to talk to you, pick up the phone, email us, call into us at the moment. Hopefully that will last. And we look forward to dealing with your business for many years to come. Okay, Jim, thanks very much. That's Jim Campion, CEO of Campion Insurances, bringing this programme to a close. That's all we've got time for. You can catch up with this uh, and other uh, editions of the programme on our podcast. We've got the latest edition of the Bottom Line newsletter is out now. Check out caseylaw96fm.com forward slash the bottom line. Thanks to all our guests this week, Jim Perrimer, Donnelly, Breida Dooley and Jim Campion. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show and thanks most of all to you for listening. We'll be back next week just after the nine o'clock news. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Uh, Keep vigilant and keep your distance because COVID hasn't gone away, you know. We've made a lot of progress but there's a lot done and more to do to get on top of this infernal COVID lots more to come also on Casey Lore over the weekend so stay tuned and stay safe keep it local and keep the faith The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie